This is According to Callus. This is episode 185. And let's get real. Let's talk about the real things. So, yesterday's episode, I uh, put out, my wife listened to it, and basically she said, it almost sounds like you gave up. It almost it almost sounds like you were throwing in the towel. What What's wrong with you? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not my intention. That's not where I was going with it. I was trying to draw the distinct line between politics and life and life being politics. So we're going to use today's episode to sharpen the focus a little bit. So let's talk about the real thing, right? Let's get real. So politics as life. So most Okay, let me back up a second. My entire adult life and most of my late adolescence, I was what you would maybe call hyperly aware of politics. Much to the dismay of many of my family and friends, I always had to know what was going on and pay attention. And I was the poor sap in middle school that would watch CNN headline news for 30 to 45 minutes every night just to make sure I didn't miss out on anything that happened during the day. No, no, I know, I know, I know. You're going to say it's fake news. Okay, well, back in the mid-80s, that was really the only option you had. And the headline news was quite useful and good. And of course, it's before the age of the internet and everything being everywhere all the time. It's what you had. The other thing that was pretty nice was the USA Today newspaper, which I read pretty much every day as well. I liked knowing what was going on. I liked to feel like I was aware. I was engaged. I utilized that to have a leg up, if you will, on certain things. Now, granted, when you were in middle school or in high school, most everybody you're going to school with couldn't care less. They didn't want to know who the president was. They didn't want to know who the governor was. They could care less that there was something called a congressperson or congressman. They could care less that there were state reps or state senators. And in fact, in the state of Wisconsin at the time, it was basically one party rule with the Democrat Party. Now, there was a fellow by the name of Tommy Thompson that jumped in there at some point and uh, was there for, I want to say, 16 years, but don't quote me on that. Be that as it may, Wisconsin was a one-party state. And unless you were part of that party, you basically were like a Democrat in Texas, on the outside looking in. Now, the Democrats in Texas are uh, far more ambitious than the Republicans ever were in Wisconsin. The Republicans in Wisconsin had largely written off politics because they couldn't make any change. However, the Democrats in Texas figured out if they would just manipulate the primaries, they would get the least bad candidate in their mind. Because for whatever reason, the state of Texas has still not closed the primaries. So, again, that's the world I came out of. I I spent probably 30 years hyper-aware, paying attention all the time, had to know. And it's exhausting. 
About 2008, I had taken time off, right? I just, it was burdensome at that point. Always having to know everything and always sticking my nose into everything and always reading and listening and it just, I had reached the saturation point. Now, that happened to coincide with a lot of things that were going on. You know, uh, Bush Jr. leaving office, the big O coming into office, a lot of bad laws had been passed with an R as the president, and now a lot more bad laws were going to come with the big O as a president. And I just, I needed a break. I, I just, I came to the realization that this was not anything positive. This was not anything I could affect, change, influence, and it was an unnecessary burden that I put upon myself. And for pretty much two years, I successfully stayed out of almost all of it. By about 2011, I kind of dipped back in, started paying attention, and at this point, it was less about anything going on in D.C. and more about what's going on here. What about Texas? What are we going to do in Texas? So the last 10 years, since I got re-engaged, right, I I took about a two, three-year hiatus there. I've been focusing on what can I do locally? What can we do to rekindle interest? Maybe not the hyper interest that I had for many, many years, but just interest in general knowledge related to these things. Whether it was how does the constitution work? What is the framework to what is the proper role of government to what is this thing called federalism? And basically getting involved with the Tea Party was a very streamlined way of looking at things. We're really worried about these four or five subjects. And beyond that, we're just not going to get uh, mixed up in the details. So the, the, there was the five core principles. Um, strangely enough, uh, one of them got cast to the wayside from time to time. And you know, be that as it may, the the Tea Party got enveloped and undermined and largely destroyed by the very people they were seeking to hold accountable. There's remnants left. There are people that are still involved. Uh, Ron Paul people like myself, you know, 08 was tough. And then to circle back when 2012 came around and... I just, it's amazing to me that we would, we would give any excitement to Mitt Romney. I mean, McCain Palin was at least believable at the time, but Mitt Romney, come on. We had Ron Paul. We had a legit constitutionalist liberty guy that was running 
and stood in the face of all of it. So again, I'm back engaged. I'm involved. But now this time it's a different view of looking at this. I'm putting limitations on this. You know, I my life has got a lot of other things going on. I have young daughters. There's, you know, school. There's just, there's other things going on. I don't need to be married to this politics anymore. It's, it's not good for my wife and not good for my life. But on the flip side, I can't ignore it. It's a passion and it's a concern, but it has to have limitations. So, yeah, or I guess technically earlier today when I was considering what's been going on and the primary begins in earnest on the 14th and I was just reflecting at, you know, this is all over with in two weeks, the primary. And there are a lot of people that are going to be sour and bitter and kind of hateful towards one another. And that's not me. That's, that's not what I want to do. I, I never looked at politics as a way to build hate. And and, and I, and I hate using that term because it's like the, the left shortcut. Well, you have concerns about this person. So you hate them. You're a hater. No, no, really. It's, that's not it at all. It's that policy or that idea has very negative effects, whether it's bad for my children, bad for my family, bad for society, bad for the economy. There's so many other things and people get frustrated. They get, they get worked up and they, they internalize it and it comes out like anger. They're they're just so tightly wound because they can't fix the problem and they see that person or that party as the emblem of all that is wrong. And the reality is, yeah, the Democrat party is terrible. The modern Democrat party is I mean, they're an amalgam of the National Socialists and the International Socialists, along with any other number of terrible ideas. They embrace Marxism. Again, no example of that working out well for anybody. Okay? But the sad thing is, is they then make excuses and turn a blind eye for the party we belong to. Right? I'm a Republican. I've said many, many times, I'm a reluctant Republican. I'm a Republican because I want to get things done. And in Texas, you can't get things done unless you put an R after your name. And by and large, most people that I've worked with on different issues or different items are very gracious and very open. And they appreciate the fact that I'll come and speak and I'll be truthful and I'll be honest and I'll make my stand. And when I lose or I win, or whatever the situation may be, I shake their hand, metaphorically speaking. I'm friendly. I'm ha- I'm, I'm happy to you know talk to people. I don't hold a grudge. I, I know that's that's a tough thing. I mean, but I have a life without politics as well, right? I I I went to school when I was thirty. I or college. I I went back to school when I was like thirty five. 
36. And so I dealt with people that were generally 10 years younger than me. I worked in youth ministry for a long, long time. So I, I dealt with young kids all the way up to high school kids. They have all these different things going on in their lives and in their minds. And they want somebody to talk to them. So they want somebody to be honest with them. They want somebody that's going to allow them to disagree with them, but be not a jerk about it. And I, and I enjoyed that. I, I had lots of good conversations with students or fellow students. And I never felt like I had to convince them that I was right. I, that's not necessarily appropriate. I mean, I was, I, I was a small group leader with a youth ministry. I mean, that's, I don't know that I would appreciate my kid coming home with their head being filled with stuff that was not related to the curriculum the church was teaching. But I also was very careful to say, look, this is what we're learning. This is what the curriculum is, or this is what the church is. But if you want to talk about this subject or this question or this issue, I can only talk about what I know. Or I could talk about what my opinion is. And as long as it's not in conflict with this, we're good. And I'll talk about it. You got to have limits, right? You got to self-censor. Now, a lot of people have challenges doing that. And again, that goes back to life without politics or life beyond politics, right? There are people that are just not going to agree with me. Shall I kick them to the curb? Shall I treat them like trash? No. I mean, now there are some people that try men's souls, right? There there are people that it requires an extreme amount of effort to behave in a professional manner or a cordial manner. But the general public, they're not like that. I mean, I'm in customer service for years and years and years. And every once in a while, you get a customer that's just having a bad day or they're just a jerk. But if you treat them consciously or conscientiously, excuse me, if you treat them fairly, if you're honest with them, most of the time they'll be okay. They're not going to necessarily be happy because some people just aren't happy. And that's kind of what I was dealing with. I was never able to be happy in 2008 or 2009. Just it was difficult to be happy when everything was negative all the time. Whether it was the opposing party, which was awful, or my own party, which was not much better. So I decided I'm going to put a check on this. And now, even now, you know, fast forward 14 years from 2008, I'm engaged. I'm pretty involved. I spent the better part of 10 years as a precinct chair. I served on different committees. I served the county board, two different county boards. I, I've done a lot of different things. And I've worked with people that I don't necessarily agree with in a respectful manner, in an engaging manner. And sometimes I was able to get some things done and other times, no. Sometimes my vision didn't necessarily go along with what the greater vision was. I'm okay with that. The challenge is, is we have to remember to be respectful and agreeable. Now, I have a friend of mine, and, and I think he's okay with me calling him a friend. Um, he lives uh, about 15 miles south of me. And he and I are on different sides of an issue. 
I believe that his support of this issue is a very honorable thing. And from his point of view, he thinks it's going to have a positive net outcome. I believe that he's wrong. I believe it's going to be a positive negative outcome. That being said, we had a discussion and I said, you know what? We're going to agree to disagree. Um, I believe you to be a solid guy, a good man. And on all these other issues, we agree. There's no reason we shouldn't work together. And we're we're just going to let this one go aside. There's no reason to beat a dead horse. We're, We're just, we're not going to agree. It's fine. Now, I did tell him that if his group, his his um, issue were to come to fruition, even though I had my concerns about it, I'd have his back. I would jump in the middle of that and I'd make darn sure that everything was left on the field, that those negative outcomes that I was very concerned about, I'm still very concerned about, didn't come to fruition because they're not going to be able to do it on their own. And I'm being a little vague because I don't mean to draw this guy in anything. And I don't mean to make this about a specific issue. It's a general issue. And uh, I had an opportunity to meet a member of his family. And I I just said, you know, um, we can disagree without being disagreeable. It's fine. And, and And I appreciate him. And, you know, I think I give him reason to appreciate me and what I do. We, we were going to work on all these other issues that's more important. So I would encourage you. Yes, you're going to have your two or three, maybe four or five issues, depending on how um, thin you want to get yourself spread, if you will. You're going to have your issues that are deal breakers. Everybody gets that. I respect that. I mean, I feel the same way about pro-life issues. I mean, I know people that are not as adamantly pro-life as I am, but I trust them. We're on the same page. We're just, if I'm a 10 out of a 10, the other gentleman's an eight out of 10. I'm not going to beat him up. I'm not going to break fellowship with him on that. Now, if he was a two out of 10, well, that'd be a different story, but come on. Uh, It's, that's not to the point where the, where the deal's broken. And that's the thing, right? So we have people that are our representatives. Some do a good job. Some are communicative. Communicative, excuse me. Wow. Some some are uh, adamant. Some are gregarious. But they make a general effort to do the job that we want them to do. And by all appearances, they're generally doing the right thing. And we're stuck with that, right? So we have to embrace it. So this is... Maybe it's a little early for this. I mean, the whole thing, my wife said, oh, you really shouldn't have done that episode. Your Monday episode. You really shouldn't have done that until, you know, after the primary is over. Like, no, 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 no. This is the time. Because once you go vote, it's over. You're not going to change anything. It's it's not going to make any difference. And when, and when March 1st rolls around, the guy that comes out standing or the lady that comes out standing, they're our representative that we are going to have to back. Now, some of them we're going to be excited about and others we're going to be less excited about because all we're going to hear is, 
um, you can't let those evil Democrats, and I'm, I'm kidding, I, but you can't let those Democrats in there. Worst, our worst Republicans better than a Democrat. Okay, maybe, yeah. I mean, rah, rah, Republican, let's go. Uh, yeah, I mean, that doesn't really sell me. I mean, I know that's what people need to hear. I know that there are people on my team that that's important to them. Well, what's really important to me is I have these principles. I stand on these principles. I'm going to do the right thing as I understand them. The Constitution is not my North Star. The Constitution is the rule book. The Constitution is the measure of all things. I would even go so far as to say, and and, and just so we're clear, this is not any Christian nationalistic thing here. It's an example, a metaphor. The Constitution is the Bible to the government. The Bible is Christianity to your life, but in that metaphor, they're equivalent. Nothing should happen in government that isn't written in the Constitution. And in theory, nothing in your life should deviate from what you've learned in the Bible if you claim to be a Christian. If you don't, well, then the metaphor is lost on you, right? So, you have to embrace what you have. And what we have is a society that is at war with itself, a society that is unsure of its own future, the multicultural society that is doomed to failure. Now, let me, let me go back and explain what I mean. Multicultural societies are almost always empires. They don't work long term. Whether it's Austria-Hungary, the Austria-Hungarian Empire, excuse me, the Roman Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persia Empire, they always ultimately fail. The Greek Empire, right? The Chinese Empire succeeded largely because they were almost all Chinese. It wasn't multi-ethnic. It wasn't multicultural. Now, that does not mean that I'm necessarily, by definition, against multiculturalism. It just means that multiculturalism is an affront to the culture. When you have a culture, that is what creates a society. When you have a society, it functions and works well together. The challenge is we have to embrace the fact that the dominant culture, for reasons that are largely our own fault, is being undermined, overwritten, and destroyed before our very eyes. Now, you can choose to fight it. You can choose to do what conservatives tend to do and surrender, or you can walk forward with your own culture. Now, the culture that I would propose is that of a Christian culture, because a Christian culture inherently doesn't care if you're a Jew or if you're a Greek. The Christian culture was able to withstand Rome as well as the Roman collapse. Let's consider that. 
We need to replace the fractured multicultural mess that we're in with a Christian culture. Now, I know, I know. Hey, look, there's some of you. Oh, he's going to this Christian national. No, 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 no. If this was the America of 1920 and I was promulgating that we all must be Christians. Okay, well, maybe you'd have a concern with that, but it's not. We know full well there's mm, 50 million people that are from south of the border that Christianity is defined by Catholicism. By then, it's largely not more than a cultural artifact for a good chunk of them. I'm not throwing stones because the same could be said about the Germans, the Polish, the Italians, the Irish, and various other uh, European cultures, right? Their Catholicism is a artifact of their culture. And the very same thing could be said of the Protestants out of Germany, the Netherlands, England, Scotland, right? I mean, they're at this point for a good number of people, it's a cultural artifact. It's just something that was, but they don't take very seriously right now, but it's very unifying, right? I mean, even if you set aside the obvious problems with the fact that there's, you know, what, 14 different brands of Protestantism, there's at least four or five different brands of Catholicism. And then there's probably an infinite number of, uh, Eastern Orthodox churches. I'm exaggerating. I I want to say that there's at least 10 that I can think of off the top of my head. And then there's the Oriental Catholic Church. And then there's, you know, there's just ultimate variations of it. But they all agree on a couple of things, right? And they've all adapted to the local indigenous culture to create a, um, an overarching culture. So rather than spending our entire life focused on politics, um, rather than only setting aside politics to a part of our life, what about embracing the culture of Christianity? Hmm? Now, I, I, I know it makes people nervous, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, what's interesting to me is... Th- Aside from a few hiccups, historically, the uh, Christians kind of sorted the things out, right? Um, Protestants tend to get along with Catholics, and the Eastern Orthodox tend to get along with both of them. And uh, Are they perfect in their relationships? No. Are they in total alliance? No. But we have brought about the idea that you have a freedom to worship. You have, a, you have a freedom to worship God in a way that best appropriately defines you and where you're at. We don't mandate that you worship God. We don't mandate that you worship God the way we worship God. In fact, we tolerate the fact that you're Islamic. We tolerate the fact that you're Buddhist. We tolerate the fact that you're atheist. And honestly, that's more than what those groups are willing to do for us. I mean, just think about the great atheistic nations of the recent history. The Soviet Union. China. Yeah, how'd those work out for anybody that wasn't an atheist? Just saying. 
Don't even get me started on the Muslim nations. Oh, yeah, they, they love us so. But, of course, we're the big Satan, and then the little Satan's Israel, right? And, and, and you know, here's the, here's the biggest thing. Other than, let's call it some nastiness about 100 years ago at this point, and some lesser nastiness about 60 years ago, if you're Jewish, pretty much every Christian sect treats you with respect. And they want you around. And they acknowledge the fact that you are the descendants of God's chosen people. I dare say that that's probably better treatment than you're going to get anywhere else in the world. Now, I don't know how all that gets applied. I don't, I don't, I don't want government to institute Christian culture. Christians should just live Christian culture. If you're not a Christian, fine, whatever, do your life. You say you want pluralism. You say you want multiculturalism. So I can't force my Christianity Christianity on you. So you shouldn't be able to force any of your stuff on me, right? Turnabout's fair play. We're all on the same page here, right? Rah-rah. Again, let me circle back. Politics in life, it was a mistake for me. When your whole life revolves around the idea of politics, you get lost. When you try and do life without politics, you're not really doing your job. There has to be some. There has to be some involvement because government was instituted by God. It's there for a reason. In our country, we decided to make it a representative republic, which means that our representatives work for us and we have a duty to make sure we get good representatives. So we embrace our culture. We stand on our culture and we encourage others around us to take part. We don't need to go drifting off into the winds of history. This is eminently possible to come through this. Empires come and go, but Christianity has stood the test of time. And perhaps some of my Christian friends out there need to consider that that's where they should be putting their work and their faith in instead of the next elected candidate. With that, my friends, oh, that's kind of gone a little uh, where I didn't expect, but I just really wanted to follow up and kind of make sure that I was clear on what I was getting at in episode 184. This was episode 185, and let's talk about the real thing, right? I will see you on the other side.